So when you decided on a profession, why did you become a doctor? I know you've been asked this a lot. I've always wanted to be a doctor. Really? Yeah, I guess, because growing up in a medical family, you assume that's what everybody does. Okay, yeah. but what about, what about it that's so exciting? Is it the helping the people? Or, or what did you see from your family? I think it's just very interesting that you go to work every day and you get to do stuff. Okay, Yeah. that's different. Well, that the day is unpredictable. Like you just go to work and then there'll be lots of different things for you to do every day. So when you, then after that, you went to medical school, medical school, you came out and you have your own practice or you worked for someone? Oh, we worked in the hospitals for, what, five years? Okay. Four to five years. And when you decided to come out to open your own practice, it's a huge capital in Singapore. Do you think it's a lot more in Singapore than elsewhere? Okay. Do, frame it well I was very lucky <laughs> that was probably is the only reason why I decided to come out on my own I mean I was doing a bit of locuming working for other people and then my dad offered to sort of start a practice with me okay. so that was very very helpful but yes the capital outlay is um, it would be similar to overseas I, I imagine okay yeah. my friend who's a dentist he cannot open something by himself in Singapore he just finds it extremely difficult. A medical practice is just like any other business. So yeah. I think most people to, in today's um, you know, time would, would probably finance it with a loan from the bank. Okay. And doctors are the type of people that banks want to lend money to anyway. <laughs> so so <you laughs> that's not difficult. If you really wanted to, you could. You just go, go to a bank, get a loan, <laughs> which is what most people do actually, you know, and okay. buy the machines and equipment. And what, what have you learned? I know it's hard, especially when you're being a doctor and then suddenly you're a business owner as well. Absolutely. So what were the things that you wished you knew? Oh, the business end of it. The doctoring end is the easiest part. You know, the business end is something that doctors have absolutely no training. So you don't really know how to design a budget or how to hire people, how you keep the people and business decisions like what you should be doing from year to year. Right. Yeah. So what what was the biggest biggest sort of lesson though that you had to learn? Probably people management skills. I think we all struggle with that. Yeah, that's really really difficult. Until today, it's a little bit better, but it's taken a lot of um, <laughs> trial and error, a lot of reading up, and just figuring it out. So is this staff basically managing staff? Yes. Sure, they're on the same page as you are. Yes. What about in terms of getting? the staff that you would like in the same culture that you've got? Very difficult. I think um, not many people would believe the type of things that, that I do, you know, so... So what, what makes you different from any other doctors in Singapore? Different? Yeah, because you always have a set of beliefs, right? And, yes. and that you would have your own concept of how it would be done and things like that. So what makes it different, do you think? Oh, okay. Well, the main difference is sort of thinking whether your medical practice is to be run like a proper business. Okay. So a lot of GPs out there would probably run it more like a business, getting a lot of corporate work to obviously pay the bills, okay. very little private work. So you exchange that for time with the patients. So what I would like to have is actually have more time with my patients and I do have that luxury because I work with my dad, right? So yeah, okay. he helps to pay some of the bills. Right. So I, ha I get to spend half an hour, an hour with people. 
where in other practices you probably won't because that will not pay the bills. So that's almost also a a conscience thing. It's not really not really ethics, but more conscious of what you want to do. Yes, absolutely. Desire. Yes. What have you found in Singapore to be a prevailing sort of like illness or a disease or something that we can do something about it that we're not really doing? Probably stress. Okay. Yeah, I would say stress. I think a lot of people are stressed and not sleeping well and not looking after themselves properly. So what do you prescribe for stress? Exercise. <laughs> <laughs> because I do that to manage stress. So I th tell them if I can do it, you can all do it. <laughs> And would you say, so if someone comes in and, and they're really not into exercise, what would you say to them though? Well, I would tell them to find an activity they enjoy. It doesn't have to be very vigorous. We'll start from somewhere because I think enjoying exercise requires a level of fitness. Yeah. So for somebody who's very unfit, mm. you have to get them moving somehow, you know, yeah. whether it's uh, Zumba or aqua aerobics or walking or anything so you get them started somehow right. but even that is actually quite difficult for a lot of people yeah so yeah. that's the thing how do you kick start something it's almost inertia yeah so that the only way is to motivate them somehow and sometimes it takes just a lot of time and patience okay so like when they come back in with like high blood pressure or diabetes or something else that pops up and then you tell them, all right, you have two options. You either exercise and watch your diet or you take the tablets. Okay. Yeah, the tablets are easier way out, but then you've got to be on it forever. Yeah. Yeah. So what about the percentage? How many people would actually say, I'm going to go for this, I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to try this out? Actually, in my practice, probably half. That's good. Yeah. That you're a pretty good um, negotiator. I try, I try. <laughs> Persuader, maybe is a better word for it. <laughs> Doesn't always work though. <laughs> what are the age group though, when you're thinking about, when you're talking about these people? Are they much older or are they just working people? I think the people I see are mostly the younger people. Younger meaning probably from the age of, you know, like the 15 ages all the way to the maybe mid 40s. And they have diabetes and high blood pressure? Some of them do, or in the early stages. So that's when I would have to sort of really encourage them to, to do something about it. Yeah. But I tell them, if you're 80 years old, I wouldn't force you to do anything. Yeah, of course. But when you are 30 and you're getting all these things, you have to do something about it. What about diet? What is it? Do they change their diet? Because that's hard. Yes, that's the hardest bit. Yeah. But I tell them that that's actually most of it. It's like 70 to 80% of it comes from the diet. Because Singapore don't really, Singaporeans don't cook, or they don't like to cook. Absolutely. So then, what are the? So what are? How do you make it such that it's easy to implement? Almost. Oh, I just tell them it's very simple. You get to save money. You cannot eat at hawker centers and food courts anymore. It's preferable. <laughs> <laughs> I say things like chai kway tiao and chai tao kway are delicacies for tourists. As a person living here, you don't touch those things. I've never, I haven't eaten them for like years, yeah. you know, and, and, and you just don't eat too much for your meals in between because you're at work, you're not very, uh, you're quite sedentary. So yes. just go with a sandwich, a salad or, I, or the locals, I'll say, oh, fish soup or yong tau fu without the noodles and the rice. So almost like a lower carb, low fat, low sodium. The fat's not so critical. I think some right. fat is important, okay. but mostly limiting the amount that you eat yeah it's 
probably the most important thing. What do you think of the keto diet? Uh, well, I, don't, I tell them all the diets are all the same. It's just whatever you want to follow. You know, <laughs> a diet, the diet, best diet is something that you can maintain for the rest of your life. Well, that's good advice. Yeah. What about diabetes? I know it's a huge thing in Singapore. Yeah. Are you seeing also younger people, like maybe children as well, getting diabetes? Okay, so the children are managed by the uh, specialists, that's so okay, we don't yeah. really see them. Okay. But yes, we do see younger adults getting like pre-diabetes or even diabetes. Right. Yeah, and sometimes it's very difficult to, to counsel them because diabetes is very much a silent disease. So you may not feel unwell until you come to see a doctor, get a blood test. Yeah, and so that's the other thing because it's silent. So when they're young, what are the vital signs that you should look out for? Most times people are asymptomatic, means they don't feel unwell. That's why a lot of times by the time it's picked up, um, they sometimes have other problems already, right. like coronary artery disease and, uh, and sort of kidney problems, or you know. Even at a young age. Uh, even at a young age, yes, it can be very early sort of diabetic nephropathy in the early, very, very, very early stages. So would fatigue be one of the symptoms that would they would come to see you because of that, or what? Would no, it be? usually you look at them and mm, they look diabetic, and you do a test and yep, you have that diabetic, you know, like that. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, it's it's a lot worse than what I used to think. I didn't think it was uh, because we, you see a lot of um, sort of what do you call it promotion signs and also mm. things you know that the government is trying to yeah. take part of. Yeah. So do you think maybe they should change the stuff in the canteen at school? Absolutely. I mean, they're still selling like. Sugar drinks. Sugar drinks, you know, all the, the, the food is very high carbo and very simple, refined carbohydrate. So the children are eating that, that sort of food, you know, and, and, and then it, when, if you grow up eating that as an adult to try and change the habits, it's very difficult. So how, I mean, that's the other thing. So if they're making all of these stance against it and that we need to change, why aren't these changes put in place? It's probably got to do with budgets money, right? I mean, it always costs more to eat well. And that's the sad part. Yes. Is there a way, okay, well then, now that we've talked about budget, is there a way for someone who's diabetic and saying, okay, well, it's going to cost me more to eat well, what are the ways around this so that I can still have a balanced diet, but, you know, maybe not cost me that much? They just have to make conscious decisions. Like if you make your own meals and bring them, bring it to work, uh, you plan ahead, you buy in bulk, all these simple things, buy frozen vegetables, frozen fruit. The other thing I wanted to ask you was the fact that you love running. Yeah. I see that you... <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly half marathons, but they're pretty good. I mean, you do a lot of them. And um, so, because you're juggling, you're juggling your profession, obviously being also a parent and training. So it, they're long distances. They're not something to laugh off. That how often would you run? Um, I try to do something every day. I always tell my patients that you know when you hit a certain age, you kind of have to do something every single day, um, and it doesn't have to be like cardio all the time. You should do a, a mix of activities. So would so it be twenty minutes that you would put in, or would it be a certain? You know, no, no, no. It has okay. to, to make have have a, a proper effect. It will be at at least an hour. So you run for an hour. Yeah, at least. Wow, okay. That's a long time. 
<laughs> Not but for people who are doing marathons and all that, they will be doing more than that. <laughs> okay, so do you run every single day? Um, I would love to, but it's probably not a good idea because then you don't give the body a chance to repair and recover. Because uh -huh. running is very addictive, you know, and the endorphins only last 24 hours. So you look like a drug addict looking for the next fix. <laughs> but there are days when you have to cut back, okay. otherwise you get injured. So yeah, that's the thing. I used to run, so I have problems I feel with my knees mm. you know, and a lot of the other bits that was, in, was like a bit creaky. Yep. So how is it because I'm not running correctly? or Because obviously you run a lot and it seems okay. Um, well, I've been through a bit of injuries myself, but okay. I, through, the, I mean, through these injuries and, and with time, I realized that you know, it's, running is just, we should think of, of ourselves more like an athlete. So you need to train other parts, like the muscles and tendons and ligaments and all these okay. other things. So you have and not just Yeah, so you okay. need to be doing other things like strength training and other sort of stretching type of things like either Pilates or yoga. So you put, so you run and then you do weights? Weights. Yeah. And then a stretching type of activity, like I do Pilates. So that's pretty much every day, or would you do two exercises in a day? Uh, usually just one, but if there's not enough, there's not enough time, if there's a race coming up, and sometimes you have to double up. So with the races, do you plan them? In the past, no, I just did whatever was I felt like doing. Um, I'm slowly beginning to plan them a little bit more, okay. because I'm moving towards the 50k distance. So that one takes a little bit more planning and they're all overseas. So you have to book tickets and all that sort of and logistics. Would you run the track yes. if you were overseas? Okay. Yes. So you do like almost like a trial run for it? Oh, the trial run? No, we don't really get an opportunity. Okay. Just fly in, we do the race and then we fly back out. Okay. Mm. So would you have, let's say, a 50k coming up, which is pretty long. Would you then think about the strategy? before the race and then would you try and execute it during the race? Yeah, so I realized I did my first 50k in Ju uh, May and I realized that yes, actually having a strategy helps. It's in okay. looking at the maps, looking at the elevation profile and then you plan your training around it. And then, so let's, because yours was undulating then. Yes. So then would you be running up hills? Is that part of the program that you would do? So for hills, we do a little bit of hill training but during the actual race, because the hills, like at the Blue Mountains, are really steep. And it's yeah. not something that we get exposed to in Singapore. So we don't have the opportunity to train like that. Okay. So the only hill we have that's like reasonable is Bukitima Hill. So everybody trains there. Okay. But it's short. It's only like from the base to the top. It's just about one kilometer. Okay. So it's really short. I mean, like the Blue Mountains is like a thousand meters up. Mm. So it was like a 10 kilometer continuous uphill. So, so how would you simulate that? Then? You can't. You just do reps of the Bukitima Hill. Okay. But during the actual race, we do a lot of hiking. So you just we use poles and then we basically walk quickly up the mountain. So what about food as well? Oh, food is very important. <laughs> <laughs> you have to train yourself to be able to eat and exercise. Okay. Yes. What do you do while you're doing the race? What do you eat? Oh, I just eat continuously. From five kilometer mark onwards, I'm eating, I have something in my hand. 
energy, chill, and then you get to the eighth station, you eat chips, and then you drink, and you eat some bread, and then I have a bar. Okay, so yeah. you pretty much eat everything. Yes, I eat everything. Okay. Yeah. So one of my friends who did, uh, who's talked about this, she had beef jerky. That was not good. Why? It just didn't feel good. <laughs> they, they are runners, I hear. They take saucisson with them. They get burritos. They, they take... It's better to train your body to tolerate real food. Okay. Much better. So all the squeezy packs are not so no, good? No, they're not so and, good. Okay, and the yeah. nuts are not so good? Nuts are okay, but just very hard. So there's a lot of chewing. Okay. So food that's softer and what easier. butter? Yeah, I mean, if you can tolerate that, that's great. So would you also then train and eat here? Yes, absolutely. You have okay. to. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's what I've been doing wrong. Nutrition is, once you get to endurance events, nutrition is everything. Okay. Yeah. In, in terms of endurance as well, you know, there's also studies that shows it does take away a lot of muscles uh, or depletes muscle mass. Is that is that accurate? Which is why we need to do strength training. So um, the endurance running does break down a lot of muscle. So you have to sort of like uh, balance it out with strength training. Okay. Yeah. Right. Tips for women who are or parents who are looking to do races from you or what they can do? You just do what you can with the time you have. If you have an hour a day, just make the best out of it and, and just schedule your training in. I tell my patients that, yes, it's very difficult. You know, your life, everything comes before you, your children, your work, your family. And then a lot of women put themselves last and they yeah. don't look after themselves. Yeah. And then they come in very run down, very tired. I say, you have to look after yourself first. If you don't, who's going to look after your family? Yeah. Yeah. So you just find a little bit of time, half an hour, one hour, and you just do the best you can. And then, then it's good enough. And just go for the race. It doesn't matter. You don't have the podium. Most of us don't. You know? It's more for the experience. It is supposed to be fun. We don't earn money doing these races. We're not even sponsored. You know? yeah. So it's meant to be fun. If it's not fun, you don't have to do a race. So what is it for you? Obviously, it's fun. That's yep. part of it. Yep. But what are the other goals that you, you enjoy out of these races? I think it gives us a focus. Like if you are doing some training and you have a, a race or some event scheduled, it motivates us to, to try and train a little bit more effectively and um, yeah, a little bit harder. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you a last question, and that would be, what's your ultimate goal in life? My ultimate goal in life? Honestly? Yeah, honestly. <laughs> to become a professional runner <laughs> and do ultra marathons all over the world. Well, it's not too late. <laughs> it's never too late. You know, if I could do my, my medical practice part-time and rest of the time just traveling to do these races, because it's just an amazing experience. Why is it about running that gets you so hooked on it? It is something that you can do very, anybody can do very easily. Um, obviously, with technology and the gear nowadays, so that means a lot more shopping. Yeah. So that makes it very fun as well. But it must be a feeling you get, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm. And I mean, when you, when you conquer distances that you didn't think you could do, right. yeah, it's a sense of achievement. And you can't buy that with money. That's something that you have to do it on your own. That's what I think makes the difference. Cool. Thank yeah. you. I better let you go. I know I hear all these. <laughs>